Hi, readers. Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected with each other and the stories and authors who inspire us. On today's show, we have author Chanel Clayton, the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of Reese Witherspoon book club pick next year in Havana. Her latest book, Last Train to Key West, is about how, in 1935, three women are forever changed when one of the most powerful hurricanes in history barrels towards the Florida Keys. OprahMag.com says, Clayton's beach reads are often lit by the sun of places like Florida and Cuba, and her latest doesn't disappoint. Now let's join internationally renowned book blogger Vilma Iris Gonzalez in conversation with Chanel Clayton. Thank you, Chanel. It's so great to talk to you um, and talk about all kinds of things. Super excited specifically to kind of kick this off and learn more about your newest novel, The Last Train of Key West. It comes out June 16th, so it's almost time. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yes, definitely. Well, first off, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I'm so excited to do this. Um, and yes, just so excited for Last Train to Key West's release coming up. You know, I feel like it's one of those things where you write a book years, you know, before the release and you have all that kind of build up. And so it's really nice that it's here now. Um, uh, this book is a little bit of a departure for me from my first two historical fictions because I'm kind of going back in time a little bit. So this one's set in 1935. It's set in the Florida Keys. And it's set during the Labor Day hurricane, which is one of the deadliest and most powerful storms to hit the United States. And basically, there are three heroines whose lives kind of intersect during this period. Um, One of them is a native of Key West, and she's in an abusive marriage and, and really kind of looking for a way out. And she's a waitress at a cafe. And when she's down there, she runs into two of the other heroines. One is related to my Perez family. So readers of my first two historical fiction will recognize Mirta Perez is um, the heroine in this one, and she's the aunt of two of the heroines in my first two books. And so she's in the Keys on her honeymoon from Havana, and she's kind of married to a mysterious man. Um, It's very much an arranged marriage and sort of wondering what she got herself into. And then the third heroine is coming down on Henry Flagler's infamous overseas railroad. And so she's coming from New York to Key West, and she's searching for someone. And really, these three women are in very much kind of a pivotal point in their lives where they're all sort of looking to define themselves in a society that is often very unforgiving toward women. Um, there's the Great Depression going on. And so it's a very, very difficult time in our history, as well as Cuban history. Um, there had just been a revolution in Cuba. And so they're all at this this kind of pivotal moment. And their lives come together with the storm bearing down on them and lots of surprising and kind of dangerous ways. And so these women initially don't know each other. It's kind of how they they come together and how their lives intersect through what is happening at this time in history um, and with the hurricane. Yes, yeah, they're, they're very much coming from different walks of life. They have very different perspectives. And I loved being able to kind of flesh out the similarities and the differences between them and how they each would kind of handle this um, impending natural disaster and also just the own struggles in their personal lives that they're going through. I'm not super familiar with that particular hurricane, although growing up in the coast, you, you hurricanes tend to be kind of the talk. Remember the hurricane of X year or that year? But can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the history or what happened during this hurricane? 
So this hurricane's interesting because kind of what you said where you're not familiar with it, even though you grew up in the coast, I had a similar experience. I'm originally from Florida and it was a storm I had never heard of, honestly. And it's kind of surprising for how devastating it was to the region at the time. But it was actually a few years ago when Hurricane Irma was coming. And I just came across an article talking about some of the storms that had hit the United States and that one was on it. And what really caught my attention was that there were quite a few World War I veterans who were down in the Keys working on the overseas highway that they were building to connect all of the islands. And they um, unfortunately were not evacuated properly. They didn't get the notice that they needed and quite a few of them perished um, very, very tragically down there. And so that was really what caught my eye. The fact that, you know, we talk about World War One and that is kind of this great generation and, and honoring those veterans. And it was really very sobering for me to realize how many of them were basically abandoned by the government when they were down there. And that really piqued my interest in the storm. And then the more I began to research, not just about the World War One veterans, but also about this um, overseas railroad that was basically a train that went from New York to Key West. And then from Key West, you could take a ferry to Havana. And the whole goal was that it was supposed to make travel to Cuba so easy. And it was just so interesting to me being Cuban American to think that back in the 30s, you could just hop on a boat, you know, so easily and be in in Havana in a matter of hours. And so it really kind of the cultural intersections and just the tensions of that time really spoke to me. That's fascinating. <laughs> My next question, and I think it's almost going to answer itself. Um, when we left Cuba, um, has some suspense and espionage um, in there. I was going to ask you if you had elements of suspense in this novel, but it sounds like it's an absolute yes, just by definition. Yes, yes. I would definitely say it's probably one of my more suspenseful books. And what was interesting about it is it's a really short time period. So it's really just over the weekend. Um, and so you kind of, from the beginning, have the specter of what starts off as a storm warning and then becomes this storm. And it really caught everyone off guard. I mean, we didn't have the early warning systems that we have now. Obviously, social media right. Um, didn't exist. And, and the technology just wasn't there to give people much of a warning. And so there were a lot of kind of back and forth. Is it going to hit us? Is it not? We should prepare. No, we don't need to. Um, and so there's a lot of natural suspense from this event. And then at the same time, you have kind of the end of prohibition. Um, there was a lot of rum right. running and a lot of criminal industry down there in the Keys. So I bring that into the book a little bit. So you also have some organic suspense coming from the characters and their lives and, and some of the decisions that they've made. That's really interesting. It sounds like it's also an intersection of a lot of interesting things happening during this time um, in history, uh, impacting what's what's happening in their stories. I'd love to learn more about your inspiration and, um, for your books, not only The Last Train to Key West, but your uh, the last two books um, that you've had, you know, When We Left Cuba and Next Year in Havana. Um, I know that they've been inspired in part by your family. I think your grandmother specifically. I'd love to hear you talk about your background and how you grew up. You mentioned you grew up in Florida, but I think your father is Cuban. Was it his side of the family that fled Havana in the 1960s or how did that work? Um, so as I said, yes, I'm Cuban American. Um, my grandfather, um, grandmother, my father, and that whole side of the family came over from Cuba. Um, my immediate family came in 67, but kind of have had, you know, people come at different times. And I was born in the U.S., um, but very much kind of grew up on my family's memories of Cuba and, and their love for their home. 
my grandparents lived with us growing up. And so it really was just kind of part of our daily life. I mean, you know, I would come home from school to my grandparents playing Buena Vista Social Club. My grandmother cooked dinner almost every night. Um, so it really just kind of was they uh, a thing where they created their their version of Cuba in exile, basically at home. Um, and it, it was really important to me to, to kind of honor that spirit. You know, I think that as I get older, as the older generations kind of pass on, I, I really want to try to preserve that heritage and, and kind of honor all that they went through. I mean, they came to this country as refugees and basically started over and really, you know, worked so hard to give me uh, the life that I have now. And so with writing next year in Havana, I think it was just a chance to kind of explore my family history. Uh, my grandmother had passed away and I was very, very close to her. And so I wanted to write about that relationship and how important it is. And I think a lot of, um, people from my generation can relate to that. You know, I get a lot of readers telling me how close they are to their grandmothers and how much they live on kind of those family stories. So I, I wanted to honor that and, and to kind of explore those relationships. And it's been really fascinating for me. I didn't initially, you know, envision myself writing quite a few books on this topic, but I sort of fell in love with it. And now I'm loving kind of getting to explore different points in Cuban history. You know, I'm going back in time a little bit. I've done a little more about the revolution. And so just really learning more about where I come from and, and what has influenced my family. You know, it's really interesting what you say about the closeness of families. I think that's uh, obviously it happens everywhere and with lots of different types of families. But I think that is also super common with with Latin families generally. Um, you know, I grew up as well, very, very close to my grandmother. And, and all, in fact, um, she lived on a street where all of my family lived. So there was this sense of, you know, the family is always together and you do everything together and, and you have these really large families and it's just um, kind of, it's the way it is. It's the way we grew up. It's the way, you know, our moms and our grandmothers and their grandmothers grew up. So I think it's it's really kind of interesting to hear you talk about that. And, you know, similarly in my family, it, we had some very strong um, women kind of leading the charge, which I think is really interesting kind of because it sounds like it was the same on your side. Is that right? Yes. Yes, very much so. And I always think it's interesting because I think there's kind of that stereotype of Latin culture, like, oh, the man runs the show. And, you know, right. my experience is totally the opposite. Um, Same. You know, my grandmother didn't work. She stayed home, but it was her house. And, you know, she yes. kind of, if she wasn't happy, everyone knew it. Um, and so, yes, I was definitely, you know, raised with that kind of influence of, of these strong women that, that knew their own minds and, and didn't really put up with a lot and just kind of, um, you know, lived life on their own terms. So it sounds like you've definitely, especially, you know, from what we see in the books, you've learned a lot about your family, but have you learned anything about yourself or had any aha moments in terms of how those, what you've learned have impacted you? Definitely. I mean, it's, it's been really interesting because I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily envision that I would go down this path or that it would influence me as much as it has. Um, when I started writing Next Year in Havana, what really sparked it was a family story that my dad had told me. And I mentioned that I kind of grew up on my family stories of Cuba, but it was one I actually hadn't heard before. And it was of a night before they left Havana in 67, when everyone met kind of in the middle of the night um, in the backyard of my grandparents' house, and they buried all of their valuables. 
because that's, you know, when you left the country, you couldn't take much with you. You could take a suitcase and really nothing of value because it was going to be confiscated at the airport. And as a writer, you know, hearing that story and for the first time to hear it as an adult woman, you know, it just really made me think about what it must have been like for them in a completely new way. I mean, my family definitely talked about Cuba a lot, but it was very much um, the good times. They really missed their life there. They really loved their home, but they didn't talk to me about, you know, the more difficult aspects. And I don't, you know, I'm ashamed to say it, say it but I don't think I fully appreciated the level of sacrifice um, that they they went through or how much courage they really showed to go through the things that they did. So it was definitely very eye-opening for me. Um, it gave me a greater appreciation of, you know, where I come from and also the importance of honoring and respecting this history and trying to preserve it and pass it on as much as I can. Because, you know, I, I just don't think I really fully appreciated the depths of, of what they went through and how tumultuous that must have been. You know, as a child, you can hear the stories but I don't think you think about how you live your life and, and how difficult it would be to go through those kinds of things and to have so much turmoil in your life. So it definitely has, has made me very proud to be Cuban and also just very proud of my family and, and wanting to honor them as much as I can. Do you think that aspect is misunderstood still um, by people in terms of what you know, Cubans did go through during this time, during the revolution, after the revolution, with the repercussions of all of that. I mean, is that something that you find is still not really understood unless you, you live through it? I definitely think so. And I, I think that can really be said about so many, you know, different cultures yeah. and histories. I mean, unless you have a personal connection, I think there often is a distance. And that's why representation is so important. Um, that's why, you know, I think keeping these stories alive and sharing them is so important. I definitely got a lot of, you know, people when I talked about working on the book asking me, you know, why are Cubans so upset? I thought the revolution was good. You know, I, I don't understand. Um, and for its close proximity to the United States and really how near the history is in terms of, you know, it's only been 59 when the revolution happened. There definitely are a lot of gaps, I think, in, in people's awareness. Um, and so I wouldn't say that was my primary reason for writing it, but it's definitely something that, that has come out in the book and the discussions that we've had. So I wanted to explore this area with you, but wanted to tell you a little bit about me and kind of how it gets to the question that I want to ask you. You know, for, for me, my father was from Nicaragua, my mother from Mexico, which is where I grew up. Um, Spanish was my first language. I was there until um, I was uh, in Mexico till I was 10. Um, I taught myself English um, when I was around five because my mother was sending me to, you know, an American kindergarten school. So I, I became obsessed with language um, and I read early because I was fearful that I would be looked at as less than uh, around, you know, naturally English speaking um, kids. You know, I live in Austin now, so I'm not as immersed in the culture as I was when I grew up or left high school. And sometimes there's this sense, I think, that I'm not fully part of one or the other, whether it's culture or thing. And I go back, you know, my cousins from Mexico say, oh, you have an accent now. And then here, you know, and so was just wondering um, from your perspective and your perspective, perhaps of other family members, you know, is that something that you ever struggle with, like a bicultural identity? I feel like that is likely the experience of a, of um, the Latinx folks um, here in the U.S. 
No, I, I definitely relate to that. I mean, you what you said really resonates with me. I kind of had a slightly similar experience with language. Um, I was born in the United States, but pretty much immediately after I was born, we moved to the Dominican Republic. So I actually spent the first few years of my life in the Dominican Republic, and I started speaking Spanish um, before I spoke English. Um, so it is kind of an interesting thing. You know, we moved back to the United States probably when I was, I think, pre-K age, kindergarten age. Um and I had to learn English. You know, I heard stories that I guess when I was a kid, you know, I'd get teased a bit for for speaking in Spanish. Um, and we definitely spoke Spanish at home. But honestly, as I've gotten older, you know, and kind of lived around the world in places that don't have, you know, a heavy Cuban population or even a Latinx population, um, I feel like my Spanish has really gone. And that's one of the things, you know, I'm always a little insecure about, and I talk to my family about that a lot, um, because I feel like for it being my first language, I should certainly be much stronger in it than I am. Um, But I was even talking to my dad, and he left Cuba when he was nine, and he was saying how he doesn't really write comfortably in Spanish. You know, it's one of those things where you don't think about it, but if you don't take those classes in that language, you know, you don't kind of advance past that certain point. So I very much speak like the household Spanish I spoke at home. Um... But it's definitely something, you know, I'm a little insecure about. And when I do book tours, I always have people kind of speak to me in Spanish. And and I can do it, but it's one of those things where you have just that kind of insecurity, I think, of is my accent wrong? Is my grammar terrible? Am I not going to know this word that I should know, but it, it doesn't come to me in the moment? And I do the kind of deer in the headlights look. Um, so, yeah, I think identity is a funny thing. And yeah. I... If I had honestly known um, when I was writing the book, kind of the reception it would have, like obviously the Reese pick, you know, put it much more on people's radar and, and many people read it because of that. And I don't think I realized how many people would write the book or would read the book when I was writing it. And I probably would have been like too self-conscious to put some of the things that, you know, I put on the page um, because it is really personal and it's kind of hard to admit those places where you kind of feel less than or, you know, insecure about yourself or you don't know quite where you fit in. And I think for a long time, I really thought it was just me. And then talking to readers about this book, hearing stories like yours, you know, it means a lot to know that you're not the only one kind of straddling these different things. And you're not the only one whose Spanish maybe might not be what they want it to be, um, you know, or who kind of feels like they don't have as strong of a connection with their family, you know, living far away, it's it's tough. And I grew up in Florida, but I actually grew up in North Florida for most of my childhood, and there wasn't a Cuban population. I mean, my yeah. culture and my history came directly from my family. And so it, it is kind of a weird thing. Um, and I think especially with diaspora cultures, where you don't have that tangible connection yeah. to a place, it's, it's even weirder, because you know, I, I, I didn't go to Cuba. I haven't had that connection. It's all just from my family's stories and their memories. But it's like you said earlier, it's identity is a funny thing. You know, I think that it's not one thing, fully one thing or fully the other. And I think increasingly that is the truth. And it's even more interesting when I think about like my kids, you know, and they say, well, what am I mom? You know, and and it's it's even hard to answer that question, but I think, you know, it's it's nobody really is fully one thing or the other, um, especially at least increasingly so in the United States. You know, there's so many of our families that are immigrants or or that have moved here after a certain time, um, and it's just kind of a blended, beautiful culture, um, which is which is what it is. So, um, 
that's really, I'm fascinated by this topic and I know we could talk probably hours just on this one thing alone, but um, you mentioned, uh, you know, of course that you grew up in Florida, but you don't um, live in Florida anymore. Is that right? No, um, I'm in Virginia now. So I've kind of, my husband's military, so we moved quite a bit um, and I went to school overseas. So I've, I've just not had that, you know, same connection for a long time. I was going to ask you where you're quarantining from and how all of that is going. How how has this time been? It's It's been interesting. I mean, I think like everyone else, you know, it's just it's a challenging time. Um, I find myself really not able to focus. I'll have good days. I'll have bad days. Um, I was kind of talking to someone the other day and, you know, I write about these women going through these horrible events in history and, you know, I look now at my own life and I'm like, I, I thought, you know, I would be strong like my heroines and I'm, I'm really not. Um, you know, it gives me a greater person, you know, appreciation for the things people have experienced in the past because I'm certainly very fortunate, um, you know, to be safe and healthy and in the position I'm in right now. But it, it is tough and it definitely, I think, kind of messes with your head sometimes. Um, Although it, it puts things in perspective, actually, what we're talking about, you know, what people have endured and that, you know, all these trying times that we're finding it so hard to just, you know, stay home or people are complaining about not being able to stay home. And, you know, there's all those jokes and memes about like, gosh, we can't even, you know, stay on our couch and our comfortable couch. Now, that's not the case for everybody, for sure. Um, but, but, you know, compared to what some people have gone through, um, and unfortunately, what some people are going through that aren't as, as blessed and lucky, but it's, it's definitely been a crazy time. You mentioned that you haven't been able to focus. I have found it really, really hard to focus, especially on actually like reading a physical book. I've been listening to a ton of Audible. Um, have you been reading? Um, have you been listening? Do you listen to Audible books? I need what's, to do the audiobooks more. I have friends that have been doing that and they keep telling me that's the way to go because I have had some some trouble concentrating. I've read some really good books. Um, I'm fortunate I get to read some arcs before they're published. Yeah. Um, and so I read uh, Beach Read by Emily Henry. That was it's amazing. so great, yes. isn't it? Yes. I, I love her and loved her book. It was like the perfect, you know, feel good book to kind of get me out of a funk. I was having a bad week and I picked it up and it was perfect. Um, I read uh, You Had Me at Ola um, by Alexis Daria, and that one's coming out this summer. It's amazing. Um, It's We talk about representation in fiction, and it was a heroine I just so related to, um, and it was so nice to kind of see see that on the page. And then also another book that I really loved um, was The Cubans by Anthony De Palma. It's a nonfiction book. Um, He's a reporter, and he just wrote this amazing book about these different families in Cuba and kind of how they're coping with um, the times that they're living in and, and all of the changes that they face. So those, those three really kind of have gotten me through, um, through this time. Um, but definitely reading a little bit less. I've been buying a lot of books because there's so many good book sales. So I definitely am buying and I'm like, when, when there are better reading times ahead, my, my e-reader will be fully stocked. So. Well, definitely recommend Audible too. I feel like I can be around the house, clean, go walking. I've been doing a lot of walking. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's been a lot of fun to kind of listen to some books. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's been good. I definitely, I love that books can kind of take you away from, you know, whatever is going on. And so it's, it's nice to have that escape for sure, I think. And definitely watching lots of shows too. 
That's oh my gosh. So do, do you feel like you've just finished? I feel like I, I finished Netflix. I finished Hulu. I finished like, we don't know what to do anymore. I'm like, what do we do now? We talk. What, what, what's going, what, what do we do? Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And it's hard. I don't know. I have a hard time finding shows that my husband and I can kind of watch together, Yeah. but we've been, been doing the binge. Cause I feel like at the end of the day, it's just nice to kind of, um, you know, take your mind off things and, and just kind of relax for a little bit. Well, before we go, speaking of shows, has there been any show that you guys have both loved or that you totally just binged and it surprised you it was so good? Um, I'm trying to think of some of the ones we loved. Um, Peaky Blinders is kind of always a favorite. That's Love a fun Peaky one. Blinders. Yeah, I definitely had that a little bit in the back of my mind when I was writing um, the uh, QS book because there's yeah. a character who kind of there's a little bit of a criminal element I see there. That. So yeah, I was like, oh, you know, that definitely um, came in mind. Um, but that show is great. I love um, One Day at a Time is this amazing show um, about Cuban-Americans. It's a reboot. I love that show. So, yeah, stuff like that has has really been keeping me going. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And uh, can't wait um, for your new book um, to come out. Thank you so much. Thanks for chatting with me. This is wonderful. And now, here's an exclusive excerpt from the audiobook, courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. I've imagined my husband's death a thousand times. It starts, always, on the boat. There are waves and perhaps some wind, and then he's pitched over the edge into the sea, the water carrying him away on a strong tide, his head bobbing in the churn of turquoise and aqua, the vessel swaying to and fro in the middle of the ocean without another soul nearby to come to its aid. Sometimes the image assaults me as I go about my day, hanging the laundry on the clothesline, the white sheets flapping in the breeze, the scent of lye on the air. Sometimes I ease into it, my thoughts lulling me away as I daydream, when I'm frying the fish Tom catches when he goes out on the Helen, a vessel with whom I share two things in common, a name and the fact that our glory days have long since passed. Other times it comes to me in sleep, and I jolt awake, my breaths harsh and ragged, mixing with the sound of my husband snoring beside me, his hairy arm thrown over my waist, his breath hot on my neck, the scent of gin oozing from his pores. This morning, it's the dream, and when I wake, no arm holds me down. The space beside me is empty, an indent in the mattress from where my husband's body lay. How could I have overslept? I dress quickly, going through my morning ablutions efficiently in the water closet, hoping for the proper balance between looking pleasing and expediency, the tenor of our days is set in the mornings, in the early moments before Tom goes out to see the sun hours from showing its face. If Tom is happy, if the weather is good, the fish plentiful, if I do as I am supposed to, it will be a passable day. If Tom isn't happy, a wave of nausea hits me. Pain pulses at my abdomen, settling deep in my lower back, and I brace myself against the bedroom wall. The baby kicks, and I slide my hand down to catch the end of the movement. These past few weeks, the baby has become more active. 
rolling and jabbing, pushing to make its way into the world now that the due date is near. The nausea subsides and I write myself, the pain passing as quickly as it came. I walk from the bedroom to the main part of the cottage. Tom is seated at the table shoved into one corner of the open room that serves as our kitchen, living, and dining space. When Tom first brought me here after our marriage nine years ago, it seemed the perfect place for us to start our life together, the home where we would grow our family. I scrubbed every inch of it until it shone, roamed the beaches when Tom was out to sea, and collected all sort of interesting things that had been cast ashore by boaters and smugglers, repurposing them as furniture we could ill afford to buy. The dining table where Tom's body looms was once a crate that likely carried contraband alcohol back in the day when doing so was a crime. Where I once cleaned with pride for all of the possibility of what could be, I now see the loss of all we could have been. The house where I poured so many dreams, just another promise left unfulfilled. Floorboards are missing, paint peeling on the exterior. Our living space shared with all manner of beasts and vermin that push their way inside all available nooks and crevices. The proximity to the water, not even 50 feet away, the only thing to recommend it. Tom's boat is moored in the cove within an easy distance. When Tom is at sea, the cottage is cozy, the mangroves surrounding us are protection from the outside world. When he is home, it is a pair of hands around my neck. Thank you for listening to Books Connect Us. For more great book recommendations and information about your favorite authors, feel free to follow Penguin Random House on social media or visit penguinrandomhouse.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more listeners to find our show. This podcast is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. I've been Aaron Leaf, and until next time, this has been Books Connect Us. Thank you.